great way to get to know people and you get served just as much as they serve, you serve them. So um, thanks for the reminder. Okay. Bible, if you have a Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 4. We're in this third series. We are 12 weeks into Corinthians. Uh, this is the third series. It's called Outcomes. And around here, we kind of re- try to remind everybody that uh, we believe that apprenticing Jesus actually means to not only learn, but to practice what it looks like, okay? To be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what Jesus did. And, and we take that really seriously because um, the last few weeks we've been talking about some really kind of heavy things. Um, last week we talked about this idea that we are not only saved by grace, okay? Um, and, and hopefully, um, if you were here last week, you heard the message. If you weren't here that last week, uh, we're having some technical podcast difficulties, so you missed it, it's just gone forever. And you can't, no, I'm just, if you actually want to read it, I'll send it to you. So, uh, but we are saved by grace, and that is a beautiful thing, that grace, um, it's all grace, right? Um, but at the same time, a lot of times we forget that we're also judged by works, that it says all throughout scriptures that, that we actually, because of this grace that God has given us, we don't earn it, we don't pay it back, but because it's so changed us, that we can't help but be a part of what God is doing. And, and, and at the end of all things, um, that will all be put on display. We talked about the gap between what we believe and how we live. We talked about things in our lives that need to go and new things that need to get built. Today is the final part of this series, and it's, a, it's actually, a, it's probably one of the most sarcastic places that Paul talks in scripture, and I can't wait to get into it. It says, uh, verse six, now brothers and sisters, I have applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, do not go beyond what is written. This is actually a popular uh, Greco-Roman idiom that, uh, that Paul is talking about. Hey, Bailey, you're gonna have to give me some water again. I'm losing my voice. Um, I always make Bailey do it. It's so much fun. Um, but there's this Greco-Roman idiom that says, don't go beyond what is written, okay? And, and so apparently what Paul is getting at is that what the scriptures talk about, that the people in Corinth were going beyond it. They were, they were discounting it. They were going past it. They were adding on to it. And Paul says, don't go beyond what is written. In fact, up to this point in the letter, Remember, this letter was delivered. Timothy probably stood up and read it, and they read it in one chunk. And so already to this point, six times, three times in Isaiah, once in Jeremiah, uh, once in Job, and once in Psalms, Paul is actually quoting scripture. He's actually saying this, for it is written. And he says, don't go beyond what is written, because for Paul, Paul's entire thinking, like his, how he sees the world, is built on scripture. Everything he knows, everything he sees as far as how the world operates, he sees through the lens of scripture. So Paul's reality is defined by what he reads about, not what he sees around him. The Corinthians, their their reality is what they see around them. 
Remember, they're pulling in all this other cultural stuff into their lives. And, and Paul's saying, don't go beyond what's written. Don't add all this other stuff in. Don't, don't, um, and there's in the Old Testament, it was called syncretism. Don't take this and mix it with this. It's like mixing culture and scripture. He said, don't do that. There was a Pew Research study done a number of years back. <clears throat> it was about American evangelical Christians, which whenever they do studies like this, I'm just like, oh no. It says 15% of people who called themselves American evangelical Christians actually consulted a psychic. Like with the cards and the ugly scarf, <laughs> You know what I mean? Like 15%. Uh, it says 23% follow astrology. Meaning, done reading your Bible, check your horoscope. See if there's any like cool, interesting things that match up, right? 22% believe in reincarnation which maybe they get resurrection and reincarnation confused, but I mean, come on. So there's this, like, there's this natural human tendency to mix things, okay? To, to pull things together. How pop, pop culture thinks, how, what Oprah thinks, what, you know, all these different philosophies out there and bring them in and, and build them off what the world says instead of what scripture says. And here's the thing that's super like ironic. Like we have the most access to Bible knowledge and commentaries and all these things, like biblical archeology. span We have more access to scriptures and understanding the scriptures than in any time in human history. And yet we're probably the most illiterate biblically of any time in human history. And Paul is just shooting this out to the Corinthians saying, I just want you to know, don't go beyond what's written. Because, and here's the reason why he says that. I mean, there's, there's, there's a reason, okay, that he talks about this. Um, and I'm gonna get back to it. It says this. Then the result of not adding to scripture is you will not be puffed up. And, and that word actually means a bag of hot air. <laughs> and it, you won't be puffed up in, in, in being a follower of the one uh, of one of us over the other. So he's saying like the root cause of division, which is what we talked about a number of weeks ago, is pride. That going beyond scripture actually makes you prideful, that actually puffs you up. And, and then you start dividing and you start factioning off. And, and, and in a culture that values pride, he's saying value humility, value scripture, because if you get sucked into just culture, um, you have a tendency to get puffed up, get a little arrogant. And then he gets right into the issue in verse seven. He says, for who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? It's one of my favorite lines in the New Testament. Obviously, it's a rhetorical question. The answer is nothing, right? What do you have that you did not receive? You have nothing. And you did not receive it. Why did you boast as though you did not? Pride is illogical is what Paul's saying. He's like, you're almost like out of your mind. It's like a two-year-old saying, look how cool I am. I have blue eyes. 
It's, it's this idea that nothing you have has been something on your own. Verse 80 says, already you have all you want. And this is where it gets really fun. Already, already you have become rich. You have, be, you have begun to reign. And that without us. How I wish you really had begun to reign so that we might also reign with you. And obviously he's being super sarcastic here, but the idea here is, is something that's really important. And we don't have enough time to unpack it all, but long story short, the point is he's saying is, you have everything you want, you are prosperous, you live in abundance. And he's contrasting his, his location, like he's in Ephesus writing the letter to the Corinthians. And remember, we talked about Corinthians, we talked about the backstory to it all. Huge economic powerhouse of a city. Money everywhere, flush with cash and, and everything you could have. And, and, and there was no persecution happening here. Like they were living as Christians in the city and, and they just could do whatever they want and be whatever they want. And they were, they were still, some of them were gonna get into this, still going to the temple, still sacrificing uh, uh, stuff to idols, still engaging in temple prostitution. I mean, they're just adding things from the city into what it looks like to follow Jesus. And Paul's saying, don't go beyond scripture. You have everything you want. I mean, you have money. You're not hungry. He gets into all that. Um, you have everything you want economically. It talks about this in the letter that they have every spiritual gift in their community. They have, they're not lacking anything. And they live in this freedom, no persecution, and tons of money. And often, out of prosperity grows pride. Often when we get everything we feel like we need or everything we want, we get kind of arrogant about it. It's a normal human thing. Paul calls them rich kings. He's like, oh, you guys are rich kings. He's like, oh, that'd be great if you actually were rich kings, then we would be right along with you. Then he begins to contrast his situation with theirs. Verse nine. For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession. Like those condemned to die in the arena, we have been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as to human beings. And what he does is he borrows from a really graphic and lurid Greco-Roman uh, metaphor called a triumph. Now a triumph is um, a parade. And at the, at the entrance of every Greco-Roman city, and Corinth is one of those, would be these huge arches. And then underneath those arches, they would march in after a huge conquest or completion of a battle or campaign, they would march in in order of importance. So the first people to march through the gates, through the triumphal gates, would be uh, the dignitaries, the generals, the officials, uh, maybe the king or the, or, or, or the, the Caesar, you know, would, would go through the triumph first, and then it would be musicians or the military, and there would be like in gold chariots, and there would be just music and, and beautiful pomp and circumstance. And then, and, and by the way, the, the entire city's watching this. Like everything shuts down, everybody's there. And then you'd get the spoils of war. You would get 
slaves, stripped naked, drugged through the streets. You would get wild animals and tamed beasts and all the, the money and all the art and all the treasure would come in. And at the back would be the slaves. The back would be the conquered people being drugged in, being hissed at and booed at. And they would lead them right to the arena. Right to the arena. And then for sport, they would throw these conquered people in to watch them get destroyed by wolves or lions or whatever they could find for sport, for entertainment. And so Paul says, you're at the front. We're at the back. Me, Apollos, Peter, we're at the back. So the Corinthians, so if you take notes, if you're into this, on the back of your program, if you want, you can make two lists. On one side, you could put Corinthians. On the other, you could put Paul. Paul's, Paul calls them puffed up. He calls them, you know, they think they're special, that they're boasting, that they have all they want, and they're like rich kings. On the other side, Paul says, we are on display. We're like men condemned to die. We're made a, a spectacle. And then he goes on in verse 10, he says, we are fools for Christ, but you are so wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are honored, we are dishonored. To this very hour, we go hungry and thirsty. We are in rags, we are brutally treated. We are homeless. See, back in verse eight, he actually says, you have all you want. It's a very vivid Greek word that means you ate too much. You are full, you are stuffed to the top. In contrast, Paul, Paul's like, we are hungry and thirsty. We were brutally treated. That word actually means we were beat like a slave. Verse 12, he says, we work hard with our own hands. And this is an image that is probably, for us, that's like, oh man, they're, you know, blue collar, they, Actually, there's a very demeaning term in those days and that day and age. It was you actually when you actually worked to self-support, you were pretty low strata. We are cursed. Sorry, he says when we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. Who is he quoting there? Does anybody? We are cursed. We bless. When we are persecuted, he's actually quoting Jesus out of the Sermon on the Mount. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. When we, we have become the scum of the earth, he says, the garbage of the world right up to this moment. And this is just this idea of the scum of the earth. It's actually, that term translated actually means the scrapings off of your dirty body at the end of the day. It's disgusting. And then he talks about the, 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 the refuse of the world, the grime of the world, that is who we are. Very different version than what he paints the Corinthians as. He's like, this is what my life is like. Now it begs two questions for us. First one is, whose life, the Corinthians or Paul, is more like Jesus. Like, 
a crucified Messiah. Is, is Paul's life a little bit more towards Jesus or is it the Corinthians? I would say it would be Paul's. What I want to do is I want to think about your life and my life. Like, which side of this is our life tend to be on? I mean, I think we're a little closer to the Corinthians. Pretty prosperous. We have a lot. We're pretty proud of the things we have. We're pretty proud of our accomplishments. We're actually pretty proud of how we can um, have a Christian life and, and, and interject Jesus into different parts of our life or, or, or pull them out at will. We have a really good uh, way of mixing things together. And P Paul's just, he's got a lot to say. And he says in, in verse 14, he says, I'm writing this not to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. And then he goes on, he says, even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. He says, in that word, guardians actually means nanny. He's like, you have a lot of nannies in your life. He's like, but I'm your dad. I started this with you. He's like, I'm here to, not to shame you, but to warn you because I love you. You're my dear children. And Paul is saying, I'm not just your tutor, I'm your father. He says, therefore, in verse 16, I urge you to imitate me. That word imitate is mimetai from, and it's where we get the word mimic. He's like, I want you to mimic. I want you to follow everything I do, every, every move I make, every, you know, every, yeah. And it, like every, the way, I, the way I do everything, follow it, mimic it, pay attention. And he says, here's, here's how this looks. I mean, when you're hankering for a higher status and when you're, when, you're, when you're trying to like step on people to get to the top, he goes, what I want you to do is mimic me. And I want you to accept the low parts of life. Paul says, I want you to be a fool for Christ like me. Shoot to be weak and dishonored. When someone gives you abuse, return it with blessing. I want you to recognize that everything you have comes as a gift, that you didn't earn it. I want you to think of yourselves as, as like a menial field hand in the kingdom. I want you to rid yourselves of resentment and rivalry. I want you to resist passing yourself off as somebody who's important and wise and figured life out. I want your goal to be like Jesus. Mimic me, Paul says, as I mimic Jesus. He says, verse 17, for this reason I have sent you Timothy, my son whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus which agrees with what I teach everywhere in, in the church. Some of you have become arrogant, he says, as if I were not coming to you, but I will come to you very soon. If the Lord is willing, and then I will find out not only how these arrogant people are talking, but what power they have. 
For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. What do you prefer? Shall I come to you with a rod of discipline, or shall I come to you in love with a gentle spirit? Now understand, Paul is saying these things because he loves them. He's not interested in them clicking a like button on their faith. He's not interested in the Corinthians just having a nominal affiliation with Jesus. He sees the power of Jesus and how that transform and radically reshapes them. Not only as individuals, but as a community. So let's just assume today, as we wrap this up, let's just assume that it's quite possible that we relate more to the Corinthians than we do to Paul. Let's just assume. Let's just play along with me, okay? I would argue, and this just comes from my own experience, I would argue that it's really hard to keep your journey with Jesus healthy, vibrant, awake, and alive in the context of prosperity. I think it's really hard. I think it's very difficult. And I don't think it's impossible, but I think it's just really hard. And you may not agree with me, but I'm right. <laughs> it's just hard. And I've seen this acted out. I've seen this when we, we've been to Mexico and we've been with some of the poorest people and, and their, their love and their faith and their joy and their, their ability to just still just follow Jesus in the midst of having very little is so powerful. But here's the thing. Most of us don't think we're prideful. Raise your hand if you don't think you're prideful. Oh, dang it, I was going to catch some of you because that would have been prideful. But like, I was hoping, man, you guys are good. You guys are on it. Caffeinated and everything. Like, like we, don't, we don't think we're prideful. We don't really think... Like we just, we just don't have that view of us. And, but here's the thing, that pride comes in so many different, it comes with different faces. Um, you may look, you may be fishing for a compliment and, and try to be very insecure, but you're just really looking for attention or, or there might be anger um, uh, that when you, when you think someone is treating you the way you don't, des- uh, in a way you don't deserve, there's just kind of some pride there. And, or maybe you, you're hoarding yourself. You're like, I've never heard that term before. This idea of like, you are doing, you're keeping everything that you have that God has given you, personality, time, encouragement, all those things, you're keeping those things from people. Maybe you're hoarding your own life and your own self. Maybe pride, pride's kind of like a form of entitlement and entitlement is thinking something or somebody owes you thinking something or somebody owes you, and we're bred, we are like born and bred in an entitlement culture. That people owe us. The world owes me. The government owes me. Your friends owe you. Your church owes you. And, and this is where it gets real dangerous. Sometimes we think God owes us. God, I've been going to church for a while now. 
Or God, I've given this up. Or God, I've done this and I've gone to this trip and I've gone on this missions trip. Or God, actually give money. Or God, what, whatever it is, you might think that God owes you. See, entitlement is being angry with the God that you created in your own mind because he's not doing what you want. Rather than being awestruck by the God who loves you and rescues you despite the fact that you do not deserve it. And so out of prosperity for sometimes, for some of us, grows pride. And, and you know, there's, there's, there's a lot of ways to cultivate changing the, the, the posture of pride in our life. And, and earlier, Paul says, what you, what you do not have, sorry, what you do have, you did not receive. Like, didn't you, everything you've given, been given is a gift. Everything you have is a gift. Like reminding ourselves that all of life is a gift um, and, and especially in a very individualistic culture like we have, but just learning to cultivate a heart of gratitude, fighting prosperity with generosity, fighting that prosperity mindset in our lives by giving things away generously, like giving our time and our finances and our stuff away to people starts to foster this kind of edge against prosperity. In, in the Old Testament, uh, the people of Israel through Abraham are called to be a blessing that God actually goes to Abraham, not because he deserved it, but he says, Abraham, I'm gonna bless you and you were gonna be a blessing. That actually he's a, he's a, we talk about this language a lot, funnel, not a bowl. That Abraham, that the people of Israel, that you and me as followers of Jesus are actually, be, we're supposed to be funnels, not bowls, not keeping it, but letting it pass through. And so for us here at Restoration, It's this idea of being hands and feet. Paul's language is hands and feet. That you and I are not simply to sit around and say, okay, God loves me, I'm good. I've got my magic ticket to heaven. But God loves you, and that's, don't get me wrong, yes, that's true, all that's true. But you are a conduit, you're a funnel. Remember, in, in Corinth, it's house churches. And, and, and there was just kind of one church. There was a few house churches, but there wasn't any competing factions there, you know? Here in America, we've got, we've got all these options, right? We, we can pull the consumer card, right? And um, we're really good at that. We can go, if, you know, if our needs aren't met, um, if there's some sort of a confrontation that happens in a, in a community like this, um, uh, the easiest thing to do is to, to leave and go somewhere else and um, out of pride and getting our feelings hurt. And uh, the problem with that is that, um, and I joke around, but your bags fly free to the next location. And so you could, you could go from one church to another and because of your pride, you could not deal with that and that, that'll spill out again there. Um, it, put another way, someone once told me that if it smells bad wherever you are, you may want to check your pants. You know what I mean? That kind of an idea. I started a little graphic, but that's, this, that's the idea here. 
Like we're all pride. We have this, we deal with this in different ways, but, but here's some couple things before I close. Here's, here's how pride kind of comes out in community. And, and after Easter, Paul actually gets into like four or five real specific issues that the Corinthians are actually prideful in. But for us today, you may be prideful if somewhere in your life, in your spirit, in your heart, you have decided you have no need for community. That, that people are better at a distance. That there's, there's, it's just easier to just keep most of my, myself up. I will present a little bit, but not all of it. That's actually pride. And, and I was talking to Dan Zezvorka uh, the other day, one of our other teaching pastors. And, and Dan, we were talking about this issue, especially when it relates to restoration. Like, are there divisions here? And, and, and at first I got kind of prideful. I'm like, no, there's no divisions at restoration. You know? and, and Dan was like classic. Oh man, he's, he cracks me up because he really does see things in a great way. He's like, you know why there's no divisions at restoration? I said, I bet you're gonna tell me these people don't know each other. Like, they don't even have a chance to be divided. Like, I think there's, there's some truth to that. Like, we want you to be connected, not so there'll be divisions, <laughs> but we want you to know each other. We want you to be known. We want who you are to, to make a, an impact in this place, in this community, and, and vice versa. And so what might be holding you back from that is pride. Another way pride comes out is personal success. You have arrived, you have achieved, you have earned and completed so many things. And we do this to our kids, right? Like, get good grades, you can graduate college, so what? You can get a what? A good what? Help me. Job. Right, like it's like, so you can achieve, and you know, we do this. We do this to our kids. It's a cultural thing. But we're, we're, pretty, we're pretty capable people in this room. But that also leads to pride. And then prosperity, right? Family, kids, cars, jobs, retirement savings, vacations. Let's just talk about knowledge, right? We have knowledge and spiritual gifts and understanding. We have libraries of Christian books and we have stacks of completed Bible studies. Paul says, don't get prideful of all that stuff. Maybe your pride comes from your tough life. Maybe you've lived the kind of life that is just so tough and so hard that you look around you and you say, oh, these people have had it easy. And maybe that's a badge to you. Question is today, where do you fight pride? Where do you feel entitled? Where do you feel like you've made it? And Paul's saying, I'm not doing this to shame you. I'm doing this to warn you because there's so much joy, there's so much richness in mimicking Paul who imitates Jesus. There's so much more to the life to that. 
And so as we pray, as we get a chance to reflect, and maybe for you, there's, there's some confession that happens within this. Uh, maybe there's a little returning home, repentance that happens in this. Where are you prideful? Where are you puffed up? Where have you gone beyond scripture? Let me pray. Father, 